Good morning. It's so good to see a full house in here this morning, but what's better than that is to hear your voices, to hear the singing today. It was uh, just awesome, and so thank you for that. Thank you for the worship team leading us today. If you've got your Bibles, grab those and get to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, there's a black one, a seat back in front of you. I think it's page 1052. If it's not, that's going to get you really close, all right? You can find it from there. Um, I want you to be able to follow along uh, with what we say, but before we get into Today's passage, I feel like I need to say this this morning. Um, we're going through this book in 1 Timothy, and, and where we just happen to be is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, because Adam ended last week at chapter 4, verse 5. And so uh, the topic of today will be mainly focused on the church, right, on our calling to be servants of Jesus. But um, if you're here this morning and you don't yet know him, right, then, then I want you to consider why we'd want to be servants of him, why we'd dedicate this hour to singing praise to him, why we would, uh, why we would spend so much time devoted to, to learning his word, to know more about him. It's simple, because your single greatest need is him, right? He, he is the only one who created this world and yet came and took on our form and lived the sinless life and went to the cross to die on the cross to pay your price. He's the only one who, after that, defeated death by rising from the grave to offer you eternal life if you believe in him, and he's the only place you can find any of that. And so this was a, this was a very complicated week around here. You know, in, in our community, it was a dark week. There was a young man uh, killed in a car accident. Obviously, Officer Ferency lost his life in the line of duty. Um, there, there, there were um, people that we were close to had relatives die uh, via suicide, so it was heavy in that way, and yet there's so much exciting stuff going on, too. Right, our, camp, our teens are getting ready to leave for camp uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, more than 30 of them are going, and, and uh, God always moves in huge ways there. We, we're uh, going through the 40 days of prayer to church to, to ask God to provide for this awesome vision he's given us. And so we're in this constant balance of sort of grief and joy and excitement and confusion, and that's what life is. Right, but the only remedy to all of it, the only answer to all of it is Jesus Christ. And so if you're in him this morning, I'm, I'm about to... Uh, preach and talk and probably rant at times, but just try to try to get you uh, to live your life as a servant of his. If you're not his today, then I want you to spend the rest of this morning thinking about why God would love you so much that he would die for you, why God would pursue you so much that he'd put people in your life that brought you here this morning, and why you would walk out of this place without the hope of eternal life that you find in Jesus and Jesus alone. All right? So let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the opportunity that we have this morning to open your word. We're grateful for the chance that we get to, as your church, come to your truth. Um, God, that, that is a rock in a weary land. Um, and and, and as, we, as we unpack it, as we uh, look into it, Lord, would you be the one who speaks today? Would you speak encouragement to the weary? Would you speak conviction to the wayward? Uh, would you speak hope to the lost? Uh, would you speak truth uh, to the doubters? And would you just get glory from all of it? And we ask this all in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, I can still remember the day that my Uncle Dan showed up at my parents' house, and he pulled something out of the back of his vehicle that I had never, ever seen before. Uh, he first, he, he pulled uh, six sets of golf balls, two golf balls that were tied together with this rope, and then he pulled these, uh, these PVC pipe structures that looked like ladders. And I was immediately intrigued. I was like, hey, hey Dan, tell me about this. What is this? And he said, this is ladder golf. And he says, you set them about 30 feet apart, and you take turns throwing at it, and, and you get scores. You score based on how many you can uh, wrap around uh, each rung of the ladder. And I was like, I'm into this, right? I'm, uh, any, any game that you keep score, I'm competitive enough, I'm, I'm all about it. And so I just started grabbing it and started throwing, and I immediately came up with a strategy. Just aim at the middle one, right? Because if you aim at the middle one and you throw a little soft, then you 
loop around the bottom one. If you aim at the middle one, you throw perfect, you'll hit the middle one. If you aim at the top one, or you aim at the middle one, you throw a little hard, you'll loop around the top one. It's, it's foolproof strategy. And so I started to get pretty good at hitting the middle one, and I got cocky, and I was like, hey, Dan, let's play a game. And he said, I should probably tell you the rules. And he said, the scoring isn't equal for all three. The bottom one is worth one, the middle one's worth two, and the top one's worth three. And I knew immediately I was going to change everything that I'd worked on. Right, because the way my brain works, you can make a strategy for saying just keep going for the middle and always score, but the way my brain works is if there's a three-pointer out there, there's no way I'm aiming for two or one. Because it's just settling. Like, why in the world would you try to score less than you could possibly score? And so for the rest of the night, I just kept trying to throw for the top rung all the way through. Because right, that's just the way I hate settling, right? But if I'm honest with you this morning, that for far too much of my life, and more than I'd care to admit, I've settled. For far too much of life, I've thrown at targets that aren't the highest possible score, that I've pursued and thrown myself at twos and ones over and over and over again, and three was always there. It was available. It was waiting for me. Some of the time, it, three felt harder, so I just settled and I knew it, but most of the time, I was aiming for twos and ones and it convinced myself they were threes. Because the most persistent message in our day is one that our sinful nature laps up like a thirsty dog who just found water. And the message is that this life is about you. That this life is about your wishes. It's about your wants. It's about your experiences and your standards and your demands and your truth. And we receive this joyfully and wholeheartedly because, boy, do we want it to be true. And our society and culture has been manicured to convince you of this. Everything is now uh, increasingly on demand because you're in control and you shouldn't have to wait on anything because you want it and you want it now. Right, social media is designed to make you feel like you deserve an audience at all times. Uh, every advertisement is designed to make you feel like your desire is most important. Right, from hot tub, you need it, to have it your way, to the fastest 5G network available, to bows on brand new cars at Christmas, each one of these is just another drop in the bucket telling you that you are the point of everything. And far too often, and I'm including myself in this, we live our lives accordingly. We live and operate as if life is about me. We live as if my kids should be well-behaved and obedient. Why? Because that makes my life more convenient. We live as if the focus of my career should just be, I should get all I can and just get more and more and more. We live as if church should give me the time I want and the experience I want and the style of music I want and go as long or short as I want and make sure it's in the room I want. We'll serve as long as it's, I can serve in the way I want and at the schedule I want and the format I want, or else I'm not going to serve. We live as if others are scenery in the background at best or actually exist to serve me at worst. And we forget. We forget that we exist for the glory of Jesus. We forget that when we work, we work for the Lord first. We forget that when we gather at church, we gather to worship him, not me. We forget that Jesus said the greatest among us will be servant of all. And the scariest part for Christians is that we can live this way, and since we go to church and listen to Christian music and pray over meals, we can believe the entire time that we're different. That our aim and our pursuit and our, uh, our goals aren't as self-serving as the world's when any honest inspection would show us we just keep aiming for ones and twos over and over again. And so in today's passage, there's this little phrase in there that I want us to feel the full effects of this morning. Because this one phrase is a mindset, it's a goal, it's a calling that every single one of us in Jesus Christ have received. It's the life that we've been created for. You know what it is? It's the three. 
because it's the single highest aim of our lives. And so I'm going to invite Chris Mathis up. He's going to read today's passage. It's going to be 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. And if you're physically capable, would you please stand with Chris for the reading of God's word today? Good morning, buddy. Good morning. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Thank you, sir. You guys have a seat. Keep your Bibles open right there. That is the verse that we're going to unpack. Now, if you've been here, you know this, but if, you, if you're just showing up today, this, we're going through the, the book of 1 Timothy as a church, and, and this book is a letter Right, that the Apostle Paul, who was an early uh, church authority, wrote to Timothy, who was a young protege in the faith. And uh, the context of this book is, is a how to, to lead a church well. Right? And so in chapter 4, um, that Adam, has gone, Adam went through verses 1 through 5 the last two weeks really well. He's, he's warning Timothy about the roots of deceit and false teaching. But overall, right, the, this letter is a response to Paul leaving Timothy to serve in a really difficult place. Because he left him in Ephesus to help shepherd a church that was in shambles. Right, and so Timothy is young at this point, but he had a very difficult past. He, he was, his job was to lead people where they didn't want to go. Right, his job was to correct false teaching. His job was to bring stability to a very unstable environment. His job was to correct errors and also do it in a way that Paul never did. You understand this, right? Because Paul got to travel from church to church to church. He could be a little bit more bold. But Timothy stayed. And I can tell you, it's much harder to call out the sins of the choir when you have to see them again and again and again and again. So Paul is not just trying to teach and equip Timothy here. He's also trying to encourage him. And he reminds him multiple times throughout this letter of a goal that we find in this verse. And that's the first truth I want to pull out, is that being a good servant of Jesus is the highest aim. I love what isn't said in verse 6 as much as what is. Right, because what is assumed here is incredibly powerful, and it's assumed between these two men. Because right, verse 6 reads, if you do these things, Timothy, the result is that you will be a good servant of Jesus. That's what's said. What isn't said is this. Of course, Timothy, we've covered this. You know that's the purpose of your life. Because you weren't put on this earth to indulge your desires at all costs. You weren't put on this earth, Timothy, to make a name for yourself. You weren't put on this earth to pursue what you wish or to find your truth or identity in you. You weren't put on this earth to be served. No, instead, you were created for the very purpose of serving. The highest aim of your life is to be a good servant of King Jesus. And I want to argue that this is what I would call the divine mystery of our day. In the, in the New Testament, right, the, the writers keep talking about, especially Paul keeps writing about the divine mystery. And what he meant by that was that Jesus came to open up the kingdom of God to the Gentiles. Right, so all these uh, lifelong uh, Jews were, were wrapping their minds around that glorious truth when they wrote the New Testament. The divine mystery of our day, the mystery of godliness is this, that you were created to live selflessly. You were created to be a servant. You were created to pour yourself out. You were not created for you or your wants or your wishes or desires. And the greatest secret of all is this, that the less you live for yourself, the less you, and the more you live as a servant of Jesus, the more fulfilled your life actually is. The more joy and peace and contentment is actually yours. There's no guarantee of improved circumstances, but the guarantee is that your circumstances won't affect you as much. Because you're going to have this inner peace and inner rest in Jesus. Precisely because you're being who you were created to be. So this is not just for Timothy. 
It's not just for ministers or missionaries or pastors or leaders. It's for everyone who follows Jesus. Do you remember what he told his disciples in Mark 10? He said, it's not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. And this is what he says here. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. All right, the first part of that verse is challenging enough that, that whoever's great among us must be a servant all. But then the second part of the verse, he says he came to serve. And I want to remind you of his resume, right? He's, Jesus himself is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and Omega, and the beginning and end, the one by whom, through whom, and for whom everything has been made, the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. He is the sovereign ruling king of the universe, and in order to pave the way for us to know him, to show us the example, to model what we're called to, he did not come here to be served. It said that God, that king, that Lord came as a humble servant, and gave his life for the good of others. So, of course, when he says, follow me, this is our calling. Of course, it's our purpose. Of course, it's our mission. Of course, it's our highest aim. But it's hard, isn't it? It's really hard. Because there's little to nothing in us that desires this. Because our sinful nature outright rejects this premise without even trying it. And it filters everything through the prism that we are the highest aim. And so it continually causes harm for us and those around us. And so the question is, how do we fight ourselves? In order to actually be a good servant of Jesus and a good servant of others, we have to fight ourselves. In order to lean into this calling and discover how fulfilling and meaningful it is, how do we do that? Well, there's actually two things that we find in this verse. And the first is that we are to deepen our roots in him. Listen, we, we live in an age in which information has never been more available and wisdom has never been harder to find. There is a path to wisdom. There's a path to truth. There's a path to purpose and to humility, and we find it in John 15, in which Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. How do we live for our true purpose? How, how do we overcome our sinful nature? By fighting to keep Jesus' voice as the loudest voice in our life. By remaining in him. And look at how Paul encourages Timothy to do so. First thing he tells him to do is to be nourished by the words of the faith. He says in verse 6, You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith. That word nourished, you know what that means? It means to be brought up, to be reared, to be trained into. Right, this is to be shaped and, and, and developed by and raised up into something. Uh, there's a story from, uh, from my life that, that, that points this out. Um, it, was, it was late high school. It was either junior or senior year, and it was a Monday night in the fall, and I closed at the golf course and came home after work, grabbed dinner, and I went downstairs because Monday night in the fall meant Monday night football. And I walked down in the basement to our living room, and uh, I stopped just a couple steps in, and I turned and looked, and there was some kind of like animal show on our television. And I just kind of froze, and I looked back, and my sister was sitting there, and she had one of her friends over, and I was like, what is this? And she said, it's a show we wanted to watch. And all I, I just looked at her confused, and all I said was, but it's Monday night. And she said, it's a show we wanted to watch. And I quickly did the math. All right, this is probably like a half-hour show. This is the first time this friend's been over. I don't want to really make a scene here. Is it that big a deal? And so I just sort of confusingly sat down on the couch. And about 90 seconds later, my dad came strolling down the steps. And I'm not kidding you, the exact same. He went into the living room and just stopped. 
And he did this. And he said, what's this? And Sarah said, it's a show that we want to watch. And he goes, but it's Monday night. <laughs> and that's when she goes, fine. And she just switched it over, right? And that story cracked me up, right? I love that story. But did you see it, right? We had been reared up. We'd been trained. We'd been brought up to understand that without question, Monday nights in the fall equals what? Monday night football. It was muscle memory. It was rhythmic. You didn't question it. And I, I point that out to say this. That's what Paul wants for Timothy with God's word. His design, his desire for him is that Timothy would have been so ingrained in the word, so immersed in it, that knowing what it says and living by its commands and having his attitude shaped by its ideals and having his priorities and decisions and responses and aims all being shaped and influenced by the word of God would be rhythmic for Timothy. It would just be muscle memory. It's simply who he is because he's been nourished by the word of God. And that's our hope for you. That's, our hope for, that's my hope for me. But this comes down a lot to what Pastor Adam said a couple weeks ago. That you're going to get what you pursue. You're going to get what you invest in. And I'm not going to tell you that you have to read your Bible 14 hours a day. But I will tell you that, it, that if you don't take inventory of input in your life, then living your life as a servant is going to become increasingly impossible. For instance, if you give God and his word a little section of your day at the start, and the rest of the day you have your head buried in a screen, whether it's your phone or a computer on the internet or a television, and it's pumping message after message after message into your brain that you are the purpose, that you deserve an audience, that likes and clicks are the goal, that the truth is in you, and the algorithm just keeps funneling content your way designed only to deepen your previously held convictions and lessen your view of others who see differently than you and increasing the number of hills that you're willing to die on that are ultimately irrelevant and making you more critical and more dismissive and more divisive than you stand zero chance. In fact, if that's you, the last paragraph probably didn't even register. But if you just put the phone down and just limit the amount of time you're on the internet and meditate and think on God's word throughout the day and live with one ear open to heaven and give up on the need to know everything that's going on everywhere all the time and let go of the desire that you have to comment on all of it and instead make it your goal to live a life of faithfulness to Jesus Christ, then you just might discover that a life of service is not only what you've been called to, but it's the very best way to live. Right now, you are being discipled. You are being nourished. You are being reared and brought up and trained into something. Can you honestly say it's the word of God? Secondly, he tells Timothy to pursue discipleship. Verse 6, he says, You'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. Whenever Paul mentions the good teaching to Timothy or to Titus, he's talking about the teaching he passed on to them. He's talking about Paul's investment into them, the teaching that he gave Timothy. He's saying to Timothy, don't, don't forget my influence. Don't forget what's been invested in you, what will continue to be invested in you. One of the most effective ways to live a life of servanthood for Jesus is to find somebody who's doing it and then be discipled by them. And I know it feels at times like they're a rare breed now, but man, you, you know, you know somebody who's humbly serving the Lord and you're a part of a church who's striving to disciple people this way, the standard is not perfection, it's simply pursuit. Paul wasn't perfect, but he was pursuing Jesus. He, he was pursuing a life of service to him. That's why Timothy clung to him. That's why Timothy learned from him. That's why he emulated him. If you've never been discipled, 
I don't care how long you've been a Christian. If you've never been discipled, pray and ask God to identify someone for you that can do that and then pursue that. Go ahead and have the awkward ask. But I also want to say this. If you've been discipled, you need to recognize the amazing gift that is and do not keep it to yourself. Go be Paul for someone else now. Because this rhythm of pursuing and seeking and giving discipleship will make a life of service so much easier. Second way we can fight our sinful nature is simply this. By, it's the third truth I want to pull out. It's by multiplying what's been invested in you. Man, my goal for this place, it's kind of a weird one. My goal is that you get so sick of me saying the word multiplication because I want it to shape all that we do. I want it to become muscle memory. The way Monday nights meant football is the way I want multiplication to mean following Jesus around here because we see it all the time in the Bible. He says in the start of verse 6, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, right? Paul's investment and in teaching and training and discipleship into Timothy was never meant to end with Timothy. It wasn't supposed to stop there. When we get to 2 Timothy, we're going to see in chapter 2 where it says this, what you've heard from me and the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. Do you see how everything is passed on and it's multiplied again and again and again? And so the start of chapter 4 Right, this warning against the devil, the warning against the rise in uh, false teaching that was not information that Timothy was supposed to learn and absorb and then sit on. He was then to go share it. He was then to go spread it. He was then to go teach it to others and multiply it. All the investment and in sound teaching invested in Timothy was to go out of him and bless many others, and it was supposed to go on and on and on and on from there. This is the model of the church. This is the model of her mission and our calling, and we are good servants of Jesus when we multiply, when the focus of our life and our faith is not on us only. But instead, we have a constant drive to serve, a constant drive to bless, a constant drive to invest in, bring healing to, and love others in the name of Christ. Being a good servant of Jesus is the highest aim of our lives. Greatly aided in this, when we deepen our roots in him, we lessen the hold of lesser influences, and when we multiply what's been given to us. So there's three encouragements for us I want to I give us in response. And number one is simply this, re-up your commitment to the word of God. If you're here this morning, you can say, honestly say, I have an active, daily, ongoing relationship with the word. Praise God for that. My advice to you is to guard it and keep it with everything you have. But if you're here this morning, you can say, I used to which, by the way, a ton of studies and polls of Christians show that in the pandemic, a lot of people who used to have an active relationship with the Word of God lost it in COVID for some reason. If, you, if that's you, you used to have it, then re-up today. And if you're here this morning and said, I've never had an active relationship with the Word, I've never made it a part of my life Monday through Saturday, I've never actually opened it up and read it, then, then commit to that today. There's an evangelist named Robert Sumner who wrote a book called The Wonders of the Word of God. And in it, he talks about a man from Kansas City who was badly injured in an explosion. This explosion took off both of this guy's hands, uh, made him blind, and, and badly damaged his face. And the first thing when he, when he came to that he was devastated about was that he could not read his Bible anymore. And then he heard of somebody who used to read Braille using their lips. And so he ordered the Bible in Braille. And, and he brought the, brought the pages up to his mouth to see if, he, rubbing it on his lips, he could feel uh, the, the, the raised parts of the page, and the nerve endings in his face were so badly damaged, he couldn't feel it. And one of his doctors told him, if you just keep trying, sometimes nerves have a way of healing themselves, if you wait long enough. And so day after day, he kept bringing these Braille papers up to his mouth to feel it. And one day, 
his tongue happened to stick out far enough and he realized that he could feel the braille of his tongue, that he could literally lick the pages of the Bible and read them that way. And he learned braille and by the time someone wrote his book, he'd read the Bible through four times using that method. One of the things I hate most about myself is that I'll go through seasons of life where it's hard to feel motivated to read the word of God. I know it's important, I know I need to do it, and so I do it, but it's hard, to, it's hard to feel like it's joyous in that moment. And I hate that about myself because in those times, it's just so selfish and so presumptuous and so short-sighted of me. But I'm betting there's a lot of people in this room who feel those same struggles at times. And so what I'm doing is I'm praying that the Lord would give me a consistent passion and love for his word that would rival that man's. And I'm gonna invite you to join me in that, to pray that for you. If nothing else, let today be a day of you re-upping your commitment to it. If you're somebody who's like, I've never read this, I don't know where to start, I don't know how to do it, there, in that black table in front of the sound booth, there's a little white piece of paper that's literally just a reading plan. It gives you a chapter to read every single day for the next year. Don't let that be in suits. Grab one of those on the way out and just follow that plan. You never have to wonder, where do, where do I read today? And just follow it. Get this in your life. It's that important. Secondly, I want you to prayerfully seek discipleship and multiplication. If you go to FBN, these are concepts you've heard us talk about repeatedly over and over and over again. But the question I want to ask is this. Have you done anything to actively pursue them? What active steps have you taken towards being discipled? Have you asked for spiritual coaching? Have you prayed that God would lead a Paul along your way? Have you asked the Lord to send you a Timothy? Have you made any move at all towards discipleship being a rhythm in your life? How about multiplication? Have you asked the Lord to change your mindset and outlook? Have you asked him how you can use the things that he's given you to bless others first? Have you laid a yes before him before you even knew what he asked? Have you had any conversations as a married couple about how you can multiply your blessings? And I promise you this one, we're going to keep preaching on these, we're going to keep talking about these, and at times it probably is going to feel like we're ranting about them, but it's because they drip off every page of the Bible. But have you actually pursued either of them? If not, man, take, it, take a step. Make, make them do something. And then thirdly, take the time to consider what it is you're living for. There's something you're all living for, and I know it because you got out of bed today. But I also know it's sort of rhythmic. It's muscle memory. It's just who you are. And the danger in that is this, that if it's the wrong aim, that you're constantly throwing ones and twos when threes are out there for you, without ever stopping to consider it, you might not ever notice. You just continue to churn out life on autopilot with a full schedule, with notifications beeping from your phone, with your days running together one after another, settling for less than what you've been created for and never even noticing. I'm asking you to take the time today for inspection. Why do you say yes to the things you say yes to? What does your calendar indicate is important in your life? What does your bank statement say about you? Are the people in your life expected to serve you? Are they scenery in the background? Or are they there to be served? What gets you upset? Is it always just about you? Are you ever willing to be inconvenienced for others? What, what gets you most excited? Is it always just about you? Or do you ever get pumped up for others or for God's mission? Does Jesus get the chief of your thoughts, the chief of your aims, the chief of your pursuits, or does he get what's left over after you've already served what you've made your actual Lord? I can't answer these questions for you. 
but he can. And what I know is this, is that I'm going to stand before him at the end of my life, and according to him and his word, there is a possibility, if I am faithful here, to hear these words from my king, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I also know that that needs to mean more to me than every other aim in life. That needs to mean more to me and you than anyone else's approval, any material gain, any comfort or security, any success, pleasure, applause, likes, or cheers. The highest aim of our lives is to be a good servant of Jesus. Why would we ever want to be anything other than that? Let's pray. Father, I come before you this morning as a man guilty of far too often making life about himself. A man guilty of far too often seeing through the prism of only how does this affect me? What do I want? What do I desire here? A man guilty of losing sight of the highest aim of his life. And I have a feeling that I'm not alone in that. And so around this room, Lord, we ask that you would begin to move, that your spirit would begin to pinpoint places in our lives that we are living not as servants of Jesus, not as servants of others, but as servants of self. Now that we are demanding that others serve us, that others acquiesce to us, that others give us what we want when we want it. All the while losing out on the very thing that we were created for. Lord, I pray that repentance and confession would sweep over this room this morning, that we would lay these things before you, that we would repent of them, that we'd find your grace anew. Lord, help us to consider what it is we're actually living for. Help us to take the awkward step of asking someone to disciple us. Help us to take the awkward step of asking someone if we can invest in them. Help us to re-up our commitment to your word. God, only with these tools can we fight our sinful nature. Only with these tools can we live the life that you've called us to live in Christ Jesus. We pray this all in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, we don't have anything on the screen for you today, but we still want to give you a couple moments just to respond to the Lord some things he might be putting in your life. I ask you prayerfully just consider what it is that you are living for. Prayerfully consider the ways that you are serving yourself more than him. Prayerfully consider the things that he might be pinpointing right now. And may this just be a time of confession and repentance between you and the Lord. Thank you.